Welcome. Uh, I'm wearing David's mic pack, but my name's actually Kelly, uh, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I am representing yet another ministry that your church supports, so thank you. Uh, I work for RUF, Reform University Fellowship, and we are uh, on the campus of Florida State. Uh, Y'all as a church and this presbytery sends me uh, a PCA pastor to FSU's campus and uh, love what I do. Uh, also, I want to say welcome if you are a visiting parent or family member uh, here. Go Knowles also. And uh, yeah, it's a, it was a fun weekend to be in Tallahassee, a busy weekend. Friday felt like a game day. I was trying to meet a student for lunch, and man, it felt busy. Um, but uh, I did want to say, too, there's info, if you can change that next slide, uh, ruf.org slash FSU if you're interested in learning more. And um, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, there's that nifty QR code. And I wanted to give a, as a supporting church of the ministry, uh, I wanted to give an invitation to anybody. Uh, you are invited to the Alumni and Friends Banquet. I'm starting up an annual uh, thing. And I, I, as I looked around this morning, I saw former RUF uh, folks who were involved as college students. But starting a banquet, it'll be on October 20th. That's a Friday night before the Duke game. And uh, hoping to come together, celebrate uh, what God has done uh, in RUF and continues to do. Uh, Ron Brown, who started the ministry back in 1988, will be there and he'll open the night with us. He was not able to make the last event I did in 2018 because the hurricane uh, hit his church in First, uh, First Press, Panama City. Uh, so I'm really excited to have him back. But again, welcome and uh, a special welcome to you if you're from out of town. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning uh, and and and. You know, continuing to learn how we are to seek the fame of God uh, and the freedom of man, or to lean into uh, John Piper a little bit. It's this idea that God is more and more, as he is more and more glorified in, by, through us, uh, we are more satisfied in him. And it just kind of, you know, that circle feeds itself. Uh, this life of faith that we're called to is to let go of our kingdoms and seek uh, his kingdom. Uh, by faith, and we're trying to figure out in this series uh, what it looks like for us to follow him here and now in 2023 in Tallahassee. So what does that involve? What does it look like? This morning we're going to get a taste from someone else's life uh, as we look at the call of Matthew, and the sermon title is A New Covenant Calling. We'll, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Uh, but this guy was one moment sitting uh, at his little tax booth collecting tax money from people, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes calling and Matthew might just say, this is a story all about how my life got flip turned upside down Amen. by Jesus, okay? So let's pray, and then we'll read from Matthew 9 and uh, camp out in that, that passage for a minute. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here at Wildwood. Thank you for the family of God. Uh, it's encouraging uh, being here this morning and hearing that you are uh, having missionaries return from their work in France uh, to report, sending out... Uh, members of Wildwood to Uganda, and uh, God, to have um, just a, a picture of uh, the coming and going, uh, sending out laborers, bringing laborers back, uh, we're encouraged. And I pray that you would minister to us now, uh, because we need, uh, we need to be filled by you. We need to feed on you. We need to feast on you. And so I pray that you would bless the reading of your word and uh, that you'd minister to us uh, as we study it together, and you send us back out. And so we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick up in verse uh, 9, and I think it'll be on the screen, but 
If you're uh, in your Bible with me, we'll read verses 9 to 17 in Matthew uh, chapter 9. Matthew writes this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your, your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Y'all, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Okay, so Jesus is moving along in his ministry. He's in Capernaum. Uh, which is kind of home base uh, for his ministry, so to speak. And, and it's where uh, he and this growing group of disciples are operating from. And Jesus has just come from healing a man, if you look uh, at the paragraph before, who was uh, formerly unable to walk. And Jesus' fame and infamy are both growing more and more as these different camps. You know, it's are you with them or are you against them? Uh, maybe you're a Pharisee and you're like, I'm actually believing this. But a lot of those other guys are like, no, no, no. He's breaking all the rules. And here in our passage, Jesus is walking from that uh, healing to wherever he's headed next, when who should he spy but a man named Matthew or Levi, referred to in uh, the other accounts in Mark and Luke. He's sitting in his tax booth, just doing his job. And when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, he does. Because this is a new covenant calling. That's our sermon title. And I'm referencing the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah 31, if you're taking notes and you want to refer back to it. Just a couple of verses from Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Y'all, that is what Jesus is bringing to people as he calls them. And our operating system, our wiring, our hearts get a total overhaul. Like Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And we're gonna see that this new covenant calling of Jesus means for Matthew and for us a new heart and therefore a new way of life. And it works out in our text in three ways. This is our outline. First, we'll see that we're uh, called to follow Jesus. And secondly, we'll see that Jesus calls us to fellowship. And lastly, today we'll see, we'll see that Jesus calls us to feast. And you're welcome for that alliteration, that good old Presbyterian alliteration. If you don't like that, sorry. Sometimes it just works out though, okay? I didn't force it. It's in the text. You'll see. 
But let's jump into the text together to see this first calling, called to follow. It's verse 9. Jesus sees a man in a tax booth. That man's name is Matthew. And he's just at work, work another day taking people's money, collecting what they owe for trading and farming. Mark and Luke's gospel accounts uh, in Mark 2, 14 and Luke 5, 27. Uh, if you're taking notes or you want to cross-reference, they refer to him as Levi, but it's the same guy. And Mark also tells us he's the son of Alphaeus. But Matthew, Levi, son of Alphaeus, in Luke we also read this additional detail. Luke writes that leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. What? Seriously? Is he packing up his things in his cardboard box and just walking out of the office? The, the office? Yeah, kind of, actually. Matthew would go on to write scriptures, you know, the, the gospel account that we're reading from. He would go on to heal people, cast out demons, preach the good news of the kingdom. And like Abraham back in Genesis 12, it all started with the call of God. You got to leave that and you got to follow me. Which meant leaving old ways, an old life behind. Certainly Matthew was still the son of Alphaeus. He likely started to, to use his training and abilities that he already had in new ways for the kingdom. And this following of the Messiah may have actually restored some old relationships with Jewish folks who had seen him as this Roman sympathizer, you know, this traitor, and now they're like, whoa, now he's following Jesus. Maybe he's coming back. But Matthew was likely called to a mixture of leaving some things behind and taking on new things as he responded to the call of Jesus. And y'all, you and I are called to the same. I love this hymn came to mind. I love it. And can it be? You may know it by Charles Wesley. As I think about this man, Matthew, following Jesus, responding to the call, leaving his old life behind. Maybe you've heard these lyrics before. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Y'all, Wesley is acknowledging the common Christian experience of being seen, known by Jesus, and moved by his call to follow. That hymn is referencing the conversion of the Philippian jailer, but the imagery is of light, a quickening ray, he calls it, diffusing, emanating, shining, beaming from the eyes of Jesus. And it changes us for good. When we're called to follow Jesus, when we are seen and known by Jesus, that means we can walk new paths and in new ways with the light and, and power of the gospel shining on us and shining through us. That is what Matthew is experiencing here. Or like another story, Jesus meets a woman who is, is, is you know, living in sexual sin. She's at a well in the middle of the day. He sees her and he tells her things he just couldn't know. And she runs off converted, shouting, he knows everything about me. And it's not a, ugh, he's going to tweet about it. No, he, he, she says, come see a man who knows all I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? She's got a new joy, right? It's like a lightning bolt hitting and, and she is rising. We are rising from the ashes of an old life, almost like a phoenix, the chains of sin falling away. And we're walking by faith. We're learning a new way to be human. A new life of following Jesus by faith, a new calling, a new adoption, a new motivation, a new heartbeat. It's like Frankenstein's monster or something, okay? Does that not fire y'all up? And for Matthew, that meant basically quitting his job as a tax collector to become a disciple. He left the money to follow a poor man in the eyes of the world. 
That's the upside-down kingdom of God. So if God's calling you and me to follow as well, what does that mean? That may mean you should quit your job. Let's all do it tomorrow. Just kidding. But it may not mean that. I don't know. I don't know your story. But are we following Jesus' lead as we think about our work? Or are we all, you know, uh, chopped up? And it's, it's not all connected. And I, I'm, I'm here at church this morning, and then I'm going to go back to work tomorrow, and I'll leave Jesus, you know, at Wildwood. Why do we do it? How do we do it? Maybe Jesus is calling you to follow him in an area of your life where you're afraid to. Matthew's calling to follow meant he would now be entering new situations, new parts of that city and other cities, places that were dangerous at times. He'd be called to write this account that we're reading to tell a dying world about life in Jesus and and, and the life that he was called to was not easy. And your life and mine shouldn't be easy either. The life he was called to ultimately led to his death. And y'all, we've got to ask ourselves, what am I following? Who am I following? I'm willing to bet that many of us seek comfort, right? Right? Pleasure, ease. I didn't go to the game yesterday. I watched it from my couch because I want comfort. I want pleasure. I want to hit that fridge, not go pay you know, more money than I want to for the, uh, the snacks. But I'm willing to bet that many of us don't start our day by asking God, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Lead me into opportunities for your kingdom to come on earth through me. But y'all, those are ways that we follow Jesus. With all the the freedom that we enjoy in the U.S., we can oftentimes be aimless in our living. And and like the Beatles sing, be a nowhere man, right? Living in this nowhere land, making all these nowhere plans for nobody. Working for the weekend, living for football Saturdays, trying to make more money or get more time off or achieve, or if I just had fill in the blank, things would be better. asking you and me how Jesus might be calling us to follow him as our king and put that thing down? How might the lion of Judah, the lion who grows in our eyes like he did in the eyes of Lucy Pevensey of the Chronicles of Narnia as she came to know him better? She's like, Aslan, you're getting bigger. He's like, you just know me better. The lion who Susan asks like we would, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, to which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then we watch these children, by the way, slowly grow and mature into brave kings and queens who literally fight battles and wars with with the forces of Aslan against the forces of evil. And I'm asking, how might the Lion of Judah leading you and me to follow him into difficult but good conversations and situations? How might he be leading us into growth more and more as holy sons and daughters dying to our pride, our comfort, our put-together lives that we care way too much about? I work with college students. Man, they work hard on that post. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. (laughs) We care way too much about what people see and think and way too little about what God thinks. Great book recommendation, by the way, uh, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. That book blew my mind in college. 
How might God be calling us to step into someone's mess? How might Jesus be leading you or me to maybe be a little bit more honest about our own mess with someone who we know cares for us? Is he calling you to work less, to stop neglecting your family? Is he calling you to work more, to honor him and be motivated by him in your work instead of being lazy and aimless? Is he calling you into more relational wholeness with your spouse, your son, your daughter, your sibling, your roommate, your coworker? I don't know your life again, but he does. And his calling for you is unique to your story. And that's beautiful, but I'm sure of one thing, y'all. He's calling you and me to follow him. And that means turning from our sin, turning from the things that our hearts often cling to, right? Like Gollum with the ring, and turning towards him and saying, I trust you. You better believe Matthew's life was turned upside down in a lot of ways. All of the disciples experienced this. And we've got to remember that Jesus is going to offend us, okay? In ways we don't expect. His kingdom does not work like any kingdom we make. His gentle and lowly heart beats differently than, than our sinful hearts do naturally. But our hearts are being changed, right? Supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And we've got to commit to that process. And that means we're putting our sin to death as we are learning to walk and live in righteousness. How are we following him into his patient kingdom? And it's going to look different for all of us, but what does it, what could it look like for you? Maybe that's a good question for you to take home. Jesus, what's one way I can start following you that I haven't been? Convict me in new ways. Y'all, following Jesus means we stop following our sin, our kingdom of me mindset. And we turn from those toward a new king and say, Jesus, lead on, O King Eternal. I bend the knee to you. I believe, help my unbelief. But Jesus doesn't just call us to follow. Our next point, secondly, is that he calls us and Matthew to fellowship. And I love this scene. Look at verses 10 to 13. Jesus is reclining, sitting at a dinner table, and who's there with him? Many tax collectors. I guess Matthew has friends. And sinners and the disciples. Well, passers-by, the Pharisees, see the scene and, oh, they cannot believe it. What is going on? Why? Y'all, because those two groups, tax collectors and sinners, were lumped together as a whole. They might all be the same. Because Jews did not associate with them. Being a Jew was so wrapped up in remaining clean. The book of Leviticus is all about holiness codes, okay? There are entire books of the Bible on this stuff. And those tax collectors are the unethical people who take advantage of us. They overtax us. Those sinners were known by their bad reputation of disobeying Jesus', Jesus uh, Jew, Jewish laws. I'm sorry. They're ceremonially unclean. So these Pharisees are basically asking, what's the meaning of this? How can y'all follow this self-proclaimed rabbi? He's breaking all the rules. And you're unclean. And Jesus hears them and responds, sick people don't, sick people need care, okay? Well people need no doctor. I heal the sick and I'm here to care for the needy. These are people who actually know their sin. They know their need. And I'm here to do something about it. And they follow me, and guess what? The walls start crumbling. 
the, the implied truth is, he said, you, he's saying to these people, you think your rule following makes you righteous, your busyness in the rules upon rules that you've written, but it doesn't. And he adds a line from Hosea 6 saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Basically, your rule following, your clean life on the outside, your well-manicured life isn't actually a heartfelt desire to know God. It's empty. It's prideful. You have rules upon rules, and they keep you busy, and they keep you from true fellowship. A true knowledge of sin and need for God to deal with that sin will drive a sick sinner to God in repentant longing for a Savior, for redemption. And y'all, these prideful Pharisees are missing it completely. And you know what else? It is precisely by being in the presence of Jesus that makes all these people clean. The Pharisees are judging Jesus, they are keeping their distance, and they are blind to this new covenant reality that Jesus actually transforms the sinful sick into new creations that are enabled to spirit-filled fellowship. And what is spirit-filled fellowship? It's the freedom of self-forgetfulness that Tim Keller called it. It is caring less about yourself and caring more about others. It is waking up from a zombie lifestyle and saying, who are you? What is your story? Let me in. Seeking to really know people and love them sacrificially. We've been camping out, by the way, a little picture into RUF, in fellowship and service this semester with our leaders. And we just recently talked this last week about how the word hospitality in Scripture literally means to show love to strangers. Christian hospitality is to literally seek out people we don't know as well in an effort to get to know them better and love them better with the love that Jesus shows us. Is that not what we have here? Jesus has called Matthew to follow, and now what is Matthew doing? Opening up his home to invite other tax collectors, other new disciples, and these people who are known reputation-wise by their sin more than anything else. This is a random ragtag group. Makes me think of the little rascals or something. But do you see Jesus bringing together people who don't fit? It's like he's reshaping the puzzle pieces. He's creating a whole new thing. New creations, right? Jesus is enabling, enabling and empowering people like Matthew and you and me to seek out others who aren't like us. In the slightest, we don't have the same common interests but we do have a new gospel horizon to our relationships that he is empowering in ways we never could. Y'all, following Jesus means he is going to invite you into people's lives and them into yours, and you just wouldn't naturally understand or relate to them. Maybe you've experienced this. This is a big part of my college experience. But the Spirit will lead you, empower you to seek in ways you never did before. And it may, it may be your family. It may be that person who's sitting a few seats away from you right now. Or the person who works at the restaurant or the coffee shop that you frequent, who you, you're starting to want to know a little bit more about. Or the neighbor across the street or the neighbor across the hall. Or the student that, uh, with my college students, you just see that person over and over again and you're like, oh, I guess we have the same major, we have a lot of the same classes i got to ask you, what is your name, you know? We are so good, though, at staying busy, aren't we? I see students all the time. They've got the earbuds in. They don't want to talk, right? 
They just keep on walking. And they're scared. They're full of fear. They have a story, and they're not allowing themselves to be known. And I mean, it's almost like, you know, the, the student at FSU uh, in their little world, and Jesus is saying, follow me. What strangers might Jesus be calling you and me to love? What if you were to ask him to lead you into the unknown in this respect? Again, we are great at staying busy, filling our calendars with achievement and overwork or overplay. Do we ever stop to think about how we might show mercy as we've been shown mercy? Jesus is saying to these busy law followers, your sacrifice, your rules upon rules, it's a show. God wants your heart. He wants you to know his steadfast, merciful heart and to let it flow through the pipes of your life. Will you put down your agenda and ask him to start writing a new one for you? Please. Y'all, the kingdom of God is a beautiful thing, but we've got to be willing to admit, I don't know how to do it. I've got to surrender each and every day to Jesus saying, Will you make your mercies new? Humbly asking him, lead me into fellowship. Lead me into evangelism. Lead me into hospitality. Lead me into restoration. And you know what? It's his business. If we believe the eternal son of God put on flesh, lived, died, conquered death for us, can we not also believe he can lead us by the spirit, the helper he promised to send each and every day? Each and every day he can give us spiritual guidance. Okay, so why are we not asking him to? Are we looking to him daily to shape and mold us more and more into his followers? Y'all, fellowship means partnering, one anothering. It means being committed to the body of Christ. A book that has also been really powerful in my life is Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And the subtitle I love It's people in need of change helping people in need of change. And I love that. How are we, people in need of change, connecting to the IV of the Holy Spirit to then be enabled to spirit-filled life and fellowship? Who has God put around you and me to know and serve and love and care for? What if we started looking for him? What if I set set aside five, 10, 15 minutes of my day to say, Lord, who might you be bringing into my life to love and serve? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see Jesus, who might you be calling me to seek, to find, to share my story with, to pull into my story, to one another, to pray with, to pray for? The possibilities are endless. And I hope I'm not overwhelming you too much But I hope this last point will really bring it in and bring it home and and give you rest. We've already been at the dinner party. There's food there. But this last point is Jesus calling us to feast. And he explains this in the next paragraph in verses 14 to 17. He's already at a feast at Matthew's house with different believers gathered together. And Matthew and his new friends are celebrating in many ways, being together with a big meal. We've already seen the Pharisees. They don't get it. But here we see the disciples of John. Jesus' cousin. They don't get it either. Honestly, if you look at the disciples uh, with Jesus, they're oftentimes like, we don't get it either. And you know what? We're Jesus' followers, and we don't oftentimes get it. Because life with Jesus is so different than what we know or we expect. And in verse 14, John's disciples are basically like, we fast, 
The Pharisees fast, y'all don't. What's up with that? This is a spiritual discipline, denying ourselves to seek the Lord. And y'all aren't doing it, and we want to know why. Fasting was a, a regular practice for these spiritual men. And for all the Jews, it was an annual practice on the Day of Atonement. But the really spiritual, mm, they fasted a lot. You know, they're in there pumping iron, so to speak. Why would Jesus' disciples then not do the same? And Jesus, classic Jesus, answers with images, parables. He asks them, who would fast at a wedding while they're with the groom? You been to a wedding before? Weddings are celebrations. I love doing weddings. I love going to that rehearsal dinner and hearing the stories that their friends and family share. Nobody would fast there. It's a time of feasting, toasting, dancing, and so on. Jesus continues, there will come a day when the bridegroom is taken away. He's referring to the time between his crucifixion and resurrection. But he's clear, that day is not today. Today is the kingdom of God coming in and through him. And his healing and his teaching, they're unrolling the red carpet of the kingdom. God's new covenant realities. The son of God is bringing this. And Jesus is basically saying, y'all ain't even ready for this. Throw out the old manual. Throw out your old ways of thinking. Break the fast and join me at the table. Jesus continues in verse 16. Do you put a new unshrunk patch on an old garment? No, it would shrink and rip when washed and dried. It would pull the old garment toward itself, causing a new rip. Similarly, he asks, do you put new wine in old wineskin? Maybe we've got some people that brew beer or wine or kombucha. As the liquid is fermenting, it's bubbling, and it's producing carbon dioxide. And in Jesus' example, the old, worn-out wineskin would bust if you put that new wine in it. It couldn't contain the change. What does all this mean? Feasting instead of fasting, patches on old cloth, new wine. Jesus is saying, y'all, I'm the patch, I'm the wine, I'm the feast. These fasts you've developed are missing the fact the kingdom of God is at hand. And there is cause for joyful celebration. Completely different from what Jesus is saying. Maybe you've heard of this scarcity mindset. An obsession with filling the void. It's this belief that resources are so limited, I've got to do everything in my power to make up for it. Oftentimes in poverty culture, people will hoard food. Or I've been to the Philippines a couple times. I mean, street kids, when they eat a meal, they eat way too much. Because they don't know when the next meal is. Or maybe you've seen that show, Hoarders, right? Where people will accumulate so much stuff because it makes them feel safe or good. Jesus is basically saying, that's the disciples of John, that's the Pharisees, that's you and me. We are operating with this scarcity mindset. And Jesus arrives to say to us, I see how hungry you are and I am more than enough for you. Do you believe that? Do you trust me? Okay, then entrust it all to me. And you know what? It's not going to look like you think it will. It's not at times going to look like you want it to, but I'm going to give you a joy beneath it all. I will provide for your every need. I will fill you. Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, feast on me. Celebrate because I am here. The new covenant means you get me. 
As Sandra McCracken sings in one of my favorite songs by her, she says, in the harvest feast or the fallow ground, my certain hope is in Jesus found. My lot, my cup, my portion, sure. Whatever comes, we shall endure. Or as Paul reminds in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ. And y'all, Jesus is saying here, I will fill you. I will sustain you. Whatever comes, you can endure because I will faithfully provide for you. Do you believe it? If you do, stop looking to other people to fill you. Stop looking for things to fill you. Your obedience, Pharisees, your your laws upon laws, cry out to me each and every morning for mercies, for your daily bread, for sweet communion with me in prayer and in, in the word. You know there's a reason Jesus gave us the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, to regularly consume It's so that we would be reminded of the feast that awaits. It's it's us looking back at the sacrifice that he made, but it is us definitely looking forward to get a taste, an appetizer of the wedding feast of the Lamb. And yes, we are called to live in this already, but not yet. But we celebrate the feast regularly as we look forward in faith. And Jesus is saying, the fast is over. The wait is over. Let my joy and peace be your strength. And y'all, ultimately, we can live and rest in this new covenant calling, calling us to follow fellowship and peace because our Savior followed perfectly already. He walked the walk. He gave himself to strangers and transformed them. Enemies, the Bible calls us before we knew him. And Jesus, you know what? He feasted on the wrath of God, the cup that he drank was God's eternal wrath enduring his father's just punishment that we deserved to welcome us to the royal table as family members. Y'all, the new covenant calling that Jesus ushers us into is a call for celebration. This, This new covenant that Jeremiah said would be written on hearts is now our reality because of what Jesus has done for us. There is no greater news. There is no greater love. There is no greater hope than we find in Jesus. May his voice and lead of love grow louder and brighter each day in our lives as he calls you and me into this new gospel freedom and kingdom living. Let's pray together.